Welcome to Quarantine Seminary with Brother Isom. Hey everybody, uh, welcome back. I hope things are going well. I hope that life's good and that uh, you're having good experiences in the scriptures. Today we're continuing in Third Nephi with Third Nephi chapter 15. Um, remember that Jesus has been talking about uh, his vision for the kingdom and his vision for what the disciples are supposed to be in the lives of others. And, you know, he's talking to people in a specific time in a specific place, right? There's this historical setting that he's talking to these people in. These are Nephites and Lamanites and probably some Mulekites still around and maybe some other indigenous people who were in the Americas and had been kind of folded into the Nephite-Lamanite tribes. Um, And he's speaking to them after 600 years of being in the promised land. And we've we've seen what that 600 years has entailed, this kind of cycle of blessings and righteousness and dependence on God and faithfulness to the covenant, followed by... uh, inequality and pride and um, marginalizing some of God's children and kind of persecuting them, which creates instability in the community, in the nation, and which breeds destruction. And then uh, following that destruction, there's this repentance and return to the covenant. And we've seen that over and over and over again. And that's kind of his the historical setting that Jesus is, has appeared to them in, they've really seen the cost of that. The survivors who Jesus is teaching to, remember these are people who there's no way that they're accidentally at the temple when he arrives. And they, they might not know for a fact that they're the ones who are going to receive Jesus, but they have lived their lives in a way that has put them at the temple when he's come. And uh, these are people who've witnessed the outcome of breaking God's covenants. And this isn't, you know, sometimes we talk about the result of breaking covenants as if it's God punishing his people. And even the scriptures use that language and I'm just not sure, even when we use that language, I'm not sure that we really understand what that looks like in real time. Um, I think it looks less mystical, less metaphysical than maybe we think about when we're reading scripture. You know, let's think about somebody like the people of King Noah. And here are God's covenant people. King, King Noah's people are Nephites. They've returned to the land of Nephi. They've rebuilt the temple that Nephi built. And so this is the promised land. They're checking a lot of the boxes, except that 
they're not creating a righteous society. And there's this great inequality and corruption that's going on. And they get destroyed. It's not by some magical fireball. It's the, it's the inequality that they've built. It's the infighting. It's the conflict that they have with the Lamanites. All of these are pretty natural ways for societies to struggle and be destroyed. Thinking a little bit more close to home, we have a pandemic going on in the world right now. Pandemics aren't anything new. They're pretty fundamental to mortality. Um, people in every age have experienced pandemics, and they're probably a lot more common throughout history than they have been in the last half century. And, <clears throat> but we've seen that the pandemic itself is not necessarily the most destructive thing that's happening. Um, there are ways to mitigate the spread of a virus, but that doesn't mean that people are going to do those things and that uh, we, have, we have enough unity as a society to do the hard things, to make the hard sacrifices in behalf of each other. And uh, if we haven't cultivated that unity, that's not something that you can just snap your fingers and like manifest. Um, that's something you have to develop over time. That's a culture that you have to create. And, uh, and so we have, everybody experiences these kind of natural effects of mortality, but everybody experiences them differently based on the capacities and cultures that they've created, um, to meet those challenges of mortality. Death is something that we all experience. Um, some some people process death better because they've cultivated a hope in the resurrection. That's not something that you can just magically snap your fingers for. And so these people who have met Jesus here, uh, who are at the temple when he shows up, we don't know a ton about him, but they have survived the mass destruction that we saw at the beginning of 3rd Nephi. They've gathered to the temple for probably various reasons, and they're here receiving the resurrected Jesus. That's the historical context that, that they're in. And Jesus is teaching them. He's giving them the vision. These are the first people to receive the vision of his kingdom going forward in the promised land, in the Americas. And the comparable people in the old world, in the New Testament that we'll see, right? He's teaching the Sermon on the Mount. So the people who would have been hearing that Sermon on the Mount uh, recorded in the book of Matthew, these are his first disciples there. So there's a parallel that we're drawing here between uh, these aren't just everyday people who just happen to see Jesus. Um, they've lived their lives and patterned their lives in a way that I, th I think they're going to be able to make the transition that Jesus is wanting them to make in here in chapter 15. I think they're going to be able to make this transition and they're going to be tasked with teaching others how to make this transition as well. That doesn't mean, however, that they're going to get it right away. And so Jesus has taken them through the Sermon on the Mount. He's 
kind of given them this vision of what his kingdom will be like so that uh, so that the more the, those who mourn get lifted up those who are persecuted get comforted all those things um, he's given them the vision of being salt and light in the world to be evidence for God he's helped them to kind of get a feel for what it is to be a disciple of Christ and we're going to see that even though he's taught very clearly and he's this master teacher it's all a bit much for these people and um this is no commentary on them personally as like you know their own righteousness or anything but this is a huge transition he's he's asking them to rework their religion to rethink their religion right what you thought was the religion isn't the religion it was an aspect of it now that aspect is over that is the law of moses now we got to think fresh and that's really hard to do to think think about things that are so personal to us from brand new perspectives and so that's what he's really going to ask them to do here in in second or in third nephi chapter 15 and there's going to be some things that we don't directly relate to we have no traditional attachment to the law of Moses or anything like that. And so there, we kind of have to use our speculation and our imagination to f- figure out what it would be like to have to make that transition. But that's not actually that uh, foreign to us because there's always things that we do as a people, as a church, as a nations or whatever it might be that aren't quite quite right or that needs some editing or needs some repenting of and so while we might not be transitioning from the law of moses the the law of the heart that jesus is helping his his followers here in america's transition to we have to make other transitions and so there's going to be things here that will help guide those transitions so with that kind of long introduction let's get into chapter 15 um it starts off at verse one and uh jesus is kind of recapping he just said look um i've given you these teachings that the father gave me to teach and i these are the same teachings i uh taught before i before i died when i was ministering over in um in palestine um and he looks in verse two and it, It says, and it came to pass that when Jesus had said these words, he perceived that there were some among them who marveled and wondered what he would, what he would concerning the law of Moses. For they understood not the sayings that old things had passed away and that all things had become new. So there's what I'm talking about. Just because they're there and maybe they're even faithful or righteous or wannabe doesn't mean they like get the vision uh you know with the first coat of paint they need some more teaching and jesus being the attentive teacher that he is realizes this is aware of their needs and look this is a resurrected god he's not he doesn't lack for capabilities for teaching or perception or whatever but he's using his his amazing capacity um to meet the needs of these people and he has compassion on them. And that will come up over and over again. He'll have compassion on these people and be, and apparently alter his direction a little bit. 
so that he can meet their needs, which is pretty cool. So they're having trouble with this Law of Moses thing. They didn't get his reference before. They wonder kind of what's going on now because some of this stuff seems like it seems like he's critiquing the law of Moses in some way. He's saying old things. You know, it's been said of them of old, thou shalt not kill. But I say you got to check your heart, right? And that seems like maybe it's a little bit of a critique of the law of Moses. Maybe they have questions along those lines. So in verse 3, he says, Marvel not that I said unto you that old things had passed away and that all things had become new. Behold, I say unto you that the law is fulfilled that was given unto Moses. Behold, I am he that gave the law, and I am he who covenanted with my people Israel. Therefore, the law in me is fulfilled, for I have come to fulfill the law. Therefore, it hath an end. So, there's we can get in the weeds about how Jesus fulfilled the law, but one very simple way to say it is, the reason I gave you this law, that reason has been completed. It brought you up till the time that I would come to the earth and help you make that kind of next move, that next transition. And before we move on in chapter 15, this is not the first time that the Nephites have heard something like this. Um, way back in 2 Nephi 25, Nephi has this really beautiful uh, teaching about the law, and I think we've referenced this in previous days. This is in 2 Nephi 25. I'm going to start in verse 24. So Nephi says, And notwithstanding we believe in Christ, we keep the law of Moses, and look forward with steadfastness unto Christ until the, until the law shall be fulfilled. For for this end was the law given. Wherefore, the law hath become dead unto us, and we are made alive in Christ because of our faith. Yet we keep the law because of the commandments. And we talk of Christ, and we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ, and we write according to the, our prophecies that our children may know what source they may look for remission of their sins. Wherefore, we speak concerning the law that our children may know the deadness of the law, and they, by knowing the deadness of the law, may look forward unto the life which is in Christ, and know for what end the law was given. And after that law is fulfilled in Christ, that they need not harden their hearts against him when the law ought to be done away. Okay, so And there's even this kind of allusion when to Nephi speaking about these people right here who are uh, hearing Jesus. So Nephi, even 600 years B.C., is looking at the law of Moses. He knows that the law of Moses isn't the, the complete vision, that it's there for one thing. It's there to direct their hearts toward Christ. And so he says, you know, the law, that directs us toward Christ. We talk of Christ. We preach of Christ. We, everything we do is about Christ. It's to remind us that the law isn't the thing. It's not the thing that's going to save us. It's not the rock that we can build on. It's the thing that points us to the thing that saves us. It's the thing that points us to Jesus Christ. And now, Jesus Christ is in front of the people in 3 Nephi 11, or in 3 Nephi 15. And just because Nephi understood this, like the great, wise, luminary who is Nephi 600 years earlier, doesn't mean these people intuitively get this. But 
the point is really clear. If the law was meant to point you to Christ and Christ is there, then the law has completed its purpose. That's it. Okay? So it needs to get set aside because anything that stands in the way of your interaction with Christ needs to get set aside. It needs to go. And um, I heard a similar idea from an LDS scholar named Thomas Wayman, and he was talking about scripture translation. So he's just done this uh, new translation of the New Testament for Latter-day Saints. And he said uh, something similar about translations of scripture as I think Nephi and Jesus are saying about the law, that different translations of scripture, say like the King James Version, the one that we normally use, these are all, they all have their merits and there's all like, there's good things to each of them. There's beautiful things about all of them. But the minute that the translation gets in the way of you understanding the scriptures, that's when the translation maybe needs to be set aside. So here's Jesus and he's literally in front of these people. He's the giver of the law. He's the reason the law was given. It's time to set the law aside. If you have any hangups, Jesus, we can imagine him saying, if you have any hangups about the things I'm telling you, because the law that you're used to sounds a little different, it's time to set those aside. Because what I'm telling you is the way, it's the way, it's the truth, it's the life, because I am the light of the world. And anything that you can do to come to me, that's what you got to do now. That's the law that you have to be concerned with is coming to me, is the relationship that I want you to join that is the relationship between me and the Father and the Holy Ghost. We want you to join into that unity. That's going to be your path to salvation. It's not going to be the law. Okay? So that's his point that he's making here. And... um and we can imagine that he probably spends more time on this that, than we get in Third Nephi. Um, and that he emphasized over and over again, look, make the transition, make the change. Let go of the things uh, that you held so tightly to before and realize that I'm your God, I'm the giver of the law, and I'm in front of you. In verse 6 he says, Behold, I do not destroy, this is back in Third Nephi 15, Behold, I do not destroy the prophets, for as many as have not been fulfilled in me, verily I say, shall, be, shall all be fulfilled. And because I said unto you that old things have passed away, I do not destroy that which hath been spoken concerning things which, which are to come. For behold, the covenant which I have made with my people is not all fulfilled, but the law which is given unto Moses, Moses hath an end in me. So this isn't a wholesale rejection of everything that came before. This is the progressive fulfillment of those things, okay? Um, in literature, like when, when you're reading a book or watching a movie or something, there's such a thing as a story arc, right? That there's the beginning of the story and then the story builds and is catalyzed by some conflict and then culminates in this climactic moment and then is kind of resolved at the end. That's a story arc. And the plan of salvation has a story arc here in mortality. And that story arc is called a lot of different names, but we're going to call it the Abrahamic covenant. That 
God wants to save all of his children, so he's chosen the family of Abraham. And through that family, he's going to gather in all of his children unto him. Okay, and that's the idea of the covenant. But that family has struggled at certain times. They've struggled with the covenant, and sometimes they've gotten scatter, scattered, and then God has regathered them back in. We've seen that in the Book of Mormon, this kind of gathering and scattering. We see that in the Bible. And so Jesus is saying here, look, the law had a function in the larger plan. And the larger plan is to bless all of, all of, of my children. And I'm here as the Savior of the whole world. The law had a function in that respect, but the covenant isn't done yet. The storyline of the Abrahamic covenant, this idea that the entire world needs to get blessed through the house of Israel, that's still in play. Okay? And we've heard President Nelson talk about that repeatedly, the gathering of Israel, that that's the main responsibility of this uh, rising generation, of your generation is that you're supposed to gather Israel because the covenant, the story of this uh, of God's plan for this earth is still in play. Jesus didn't finish that up, okay? He inaugurated a new phase of it um, where the law of Moses is done and, and Jesus is now kind of king over the whole world and, and we're supposed to be building that kingdom. So he's, he's trying to make this distinction between the law and the covenant, between what they can move away from and what they still need to be focused on, okay? Um, then he finishes this section. He says, behold, I am the law and the light. Look unto me and endure to the end, and ye shall live. So that's, that's really simple, right? I'm going to be the one leading you forward now. I'm going to be the thing that you need to focus on. I'm the light going forward. Now, uh, from verses 11 till the end of the chapter, verses 11 through 24, Jesus transitions and he, uh, he is speaking to the 12. So he was just speaking to everybody and trying to bring them along and help them to understand what he means by the old law passing away and the new, new law um, being instituted. Now he's going to speak to the 12 disciples. And he says in verse 12, ye are a light unto this people. So he just said, I am the light. Now he says, ye are a light. So you're going to be my representatives in this people. And remember, there's 12 of them, right? So that, that reminds you of the 12 tribes of Israel, reminds you of the story that we just told of the Abrahamic covenant, that it's through Israel, everybody will be blessed. It's through these 12 that the whole people will be blessed. And he even says, this people who are a remnant of the house of J Joseph. So these people are part of the covenant, and, and they need to be gathered in. Verse 13, And behold, this is the land of your inheritance, and the Father hath given it unto you. And not in any time hath the Father given me commandments that I should tell, you, tell it unto your brethren at Jerusalem. Neither at any time hath the Father given me a commandment that I should tell unto them concerning other tribes of the house of Israel whom the Father hath led away out of the land. So, we wonder maybe why uh, Jesus doesn't just lead with this in the Old Testament. Wouldn't that be easier? Wouldn't the whole world know that the Book of Mormon people exist? And now Joseph Smith translates the Book of Mormon, and everybody knows that the Bible talked about the Book of Mormon. Wouldn't that just be easier? Well, apparently the Father 
hadn't given that command to Jesus. <laughs> and apparently, the Father hadn't given the command to Jesus to work with those people in Jerusalem. Remember the tribe of Judah, they were in Jerusalem. To tell them where scattered Israel was. Where all the other lost tribes. It's not just Nephites and Lamanites. It's other lost tribes as well. Where they are. The Father hasn't given him that commandment. Um, but there are lost tribes is the kind of implicit hint here. And those tribes are still a part of the story. And they're going to need to be gathered in. In verse 16, Jesus says, This much did the Father command me, that I should tell unto them that other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. And now because of stiff-neckedness and unbelief, they understood not my words. Therefore, I was commanded to say no more of the Father concerning this thing unto them. So this is a reference to the book of John, John chapter 10, verse 16, where those words are recorded. And at that point in the book of John, Jesus is talking about himself as the good shepherd. Okay, And the good shepherd is good because he layeth down his life for his sheep. And he's saying, now, disciples in Jerusalem, you are only a fraction of my flock. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. But because I'm the shepherd, I have to go and minister to them. I'm their good shepherd just as much as I'm your good shepherd. And apparently, uh, because of hardness of heart or stiff-neckedness and unbelief, the disciples didn't quite pick up what he, he was talking about, and therefore they couldn't get any more. And that happens all the time in the New Testament. And uh, in the Gospels, the disciples often have no idea what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about temples being destroyed and rebuilt, but he's actually talking about being resurrected. They don't understand what he's talking about. And they're, they're kind of following faithfully, but a lot of times you can imagine them just being astounded and confused at the same time. Um, and so it's not surprising that they don't understand what he's saying here. Um, but here in 3 Nephi 15, Jesus is saying, look, I was clear with them that, that I'm the God of Israel and that Israel is all over the place. And my job is to gather them just as much as it is to gather you. And they're going to hear my voice. And through me, we can all become one people again. Remember, the overall like drive here is to be unified um, with God, with the, Fa with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Ghost, and with each other. That's like Zion. That's what that means. Um, in verse 19, he continues, But verily I say unto you that the Father hath commanded me that I tell it unto you, that ye were separated from among them because of their iniquity, Therefore it is because of their iniquity that they know not of you. And verily I say unto you again that the other tribes hath the Father separated from them, and it is because of their iniquity that they know not of them. And verily I say unto you that ye are they of whom I said, Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. And they understood me not, for they supposed it had been the Gentiles, for they understood not that the Gentiles should be converted through their preaching. 
And they understood me not that I said, they shall hear my voice. And they understood me not that the Gentiles should not at any time hear my voice, that I should not manifest myself unto them, save a word by the Holy Ghost. But behold, ye have heard my voice and seen me, and ye are my sheep, and ye are numbered among those whom the Father hath given me. Okay. How is this relevant to us? Um, where does this... What does this look like in 2020? And one of the things that it looks like is this drive that President Nelson has been making among the youth to gather Israel on both sides of the veil. And that means in the temple, that means through missionary work, that means through humanitarian work and social change that um, brings the world into alignment with what the Beatitudes are talking about, this vision of a kingdom where the poor and the meek and the hungry are the ones who are blessed. That's what that means. Okay? And um, not only do these people here in Third Nephi get to be kind of the tip of the spear in that effort to lead out and to gather and to and to bless and to lift and to comfort so that we can all be in that beautiful relationship that God the Father has with his Son and the Holy Ghost. Um, but this Book of Mormon, the record that this is preserved and that didn't come through in the Bible so clearly, this has been given to us in our day. And we're supposed to do something with it. And... Uh, and so often, I think for so long, we've read the Book of Mormon not reading some of the most important themes in it, right? We've read it as another testament of Jesus Christ, and that's beautiful, and that's how we should read it. But the Book of Mormon gives very clear instruction that those who receive this book have an obligation to gather Israel. They have an obligation to find those people who've been scattered, whether dead or alive, and to bring them back into the covenant. And that through that covenant that's ministered by Jesus Christ and his priesthood and his authority, that we're going to be knit back together. We're going to become Zion. We're going to become that one fold and with one shepherd. And that's a, such a clear message of the Book of Mormon. It's one of the reasons why um, why the Book of Mormon is the primary tool for missionary work in the church. Um, but before even that, before you can go on a mission and before y you can uh, go and tell other people what they, what we believe uh, about the plan of salvation and about eternal families and the restoration and all of that good stuff, we have to be gathered in first. We ha and we have to have the experience of coming and coming to know Jesus Christ and coming to affirm our covenant with him. And there are things that stand in the way of that. This doesn't happen all at once. It often happens over time. But there are things that stand in the way of that. Things that both inside and outside the church that we, we get confused about. We mistake going to church, for example, or wearing a white shirt and tie or standing a certain way when we pass the sacrament or getting your young women medallion, we mistake that as the goal. 
when those are just methods. Those are ways that we can come to know Jesus. And they're awesome ways to come to know Jesus. But they're not the goal. The goal isn't to be able to walk around with a young women's medallion. The goal is to come to know Jesus. And I think with this new youth program that the church has put out, that's become clearer. That we're not going to be so prescriptive in what you need to do and how, how many boxes you need to check. The goal will be to, for you to receive revelation and to act on that revelation. And by so doing, remember, by coming closer to the Holy Ghost, you come closer to Jesus Christ and the Father. And as you get gathered in by revelation, by the Book of Mormon, by having experiences in the scriptures um, and in the temple and with the ordinances and covenants that you've made, you then are capable of gathering other people in. But it starts with you. And so I think one of the things we take away here is we look at our lives, we think, are there things that need to be done away with? Are even, even things that are like good things, like the old youth program, that was a good thing. But now it's done away with. And now we got something new. Um, our life before the pandemic, maybe it was pretty good. Now we're in a new world a little bit. And we got to reevaluate some of these things and think, are there, are there ways that I can be better oriented toward Jesus and better oriented toward helping others? Um, and that takes introspection and prayer and personal evaluation. Um, but the vision is always the same. The vision is one of gathering, of lifting, of comforting, of blessing, and of building the kingdom. And as we are gathered to Christ... Uh, we become the light for others. Just as he is our light, um, the more we're unified with him, we become the light for others. And, uh, and we, get to be, we get the amazing blessing of being a part of building the kingdom of God, which happens in real time, in real people's lives, in small ways and big ways. Um, and, but there's no better work out there. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.